Today, our scripture is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 7, verses 1 through 27. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man, lacking sense, packet passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home, now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon he will come home. With much seductive speech she persuades him, with her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once he follows her, as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O oh sons, listen to me, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she laid low, has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down into the chambers of death. Let us hear the word of the Lord today. Good morning. If I haven't met you, I'm Quinn. I primarily work uh, in youth ministry, both at Teen Pact and here at Kingsway, um, but I love to preach on Sunday mornings occasionally, and I hope that um, this is a, a fruitful time for you. For some of us, 2020 was a great year, but I think very few of us would actually categorize it th that way. Um, I won't share with you all of the words and phrases that I've heard and seen to describe last year. Uh, you know many of the frustrations and sorrows, um, as do I. Um, I'm equally put off by the happy-go-lucky 2021 is going to be such a great year as I am with the notion that 2020 should be just dumped into the toilet bowl and flushed. Um, some people fall into an, an externally focused um, fatalist mindset, uh, thinking that their quality of life is determined by the external factors. Um, that their life is determined 
um, by the things around them. And it's not hard to understand how someone with that perspective would look at 2020 in that way. But I think other people also fall into a more internally uh, humanistic perspective, um, thinking that their quality of life is determined by how they feel. You know, self-determination, self-help, self-care is what makes the good life. So 2021 is full of possibilities from that perspective. But I don't think that either of these perspectives is a secure place to place your hope this year. Um, if you adopt a, a fatalist mindset, you'll be disappointed every time that a new challenge comes or you experience a new loss. And if you adopt a humanistic mindset, you're going to construct a, a false reality, um, living in your mind, but not in the world. You're going to miss real, tangible, gritty grace that's meant to help us through this year. And not just to make it through but to accomplish something good and glorious in your life. So my question is, what are we going to hold on to in 2021? What will transform and sustain and uplift and grow and inspire? What will challenge our presumptions and false beliefs? What will reveal the path of life? What will give us hope in the hard times, joy in the midst of suffering, faith in the unseen and the eternal? Well, I think God has given us everything that we need for 2021. I'm confident of that. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us the fellowship with other Christ followers that we might run this race with endurance. And perhaps best of all, he's given us his word. You know, some people say that they haven't heard God speak. And like Matthew Williams might say, that's nonsense. Uh, he definitely has spoken. He's spoken definitively. And he still speaks today through his word. The word of God, according to Hebrews 4, verse 12, is living and active, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So today, this morning, we're going to see this key point. That God's word is our greatest treasure. It saves us from secret sin that deceives and destroys us. And reveals to us the path of life. It is our greatest treasure. So let me ask you, what is your most prized possession? A friend of mine asked her best friend about this a few weeks ago. And the response was her iPhone. Which I think for many of us, that would be an honest answer. Um, I have an iPhone and I'm very grateful for it. Um, I live in a big house, and if something were to happen to it, I would be devastated. Um, but whether it's a phone or a home or whatever you might think of, whatever comes to mind when you think of a prized possession, uh, this much is all the more true. And this is our first point. Number one, God's word is our greatest treasure. As Proverbs 7 begins, we listen to a father giving instruction to his son. The words of wisdom not only represent Solomon's teaching here or the Old Testament Torah, but more broadly, the counsel of God's word, the Bible, the ultimate source of wisdom for all of our lives. So with this understanding, look at verses four, excuse me, one through four, and consider with me why God's word is considered so valuable and what we are told to do 
with it. Look at verses one through four. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call insight your intimate friend. The father says, keep my words. Treasure up my commandments. Keep my commandments. Keep my teaching. Bind my teachings. Write my teachings. Get to know wisdom, my teaching, as if it's your best friend. So what, what is this repeated idea? Keep, treasure, keep, keep, bind, write, befriend. In other words, you, yes, you, right here, right now, listen up because I have a life-saving word for you. That's, that's what Solomon's saying. This life-saving lesson is so important for all of us today. These words of wisdom and the full counsel of scripture are meant to be read and understood and thought about and responded to in faith. Over and over again, Solomon says, keep the word. Why? Paul David Tripp refers to this as spiritual amnesia. We are quick to forget what we know to be true. We quickly leave this instruction behind. It's what Robert Robinson wrote in the great hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We are supposed to prize scripture for what it really is, our greatest treasure, to keep God's word as the apple of your eye. That is an idiom that would refer to how we gaze upon something and consider something, look at something, behold something. What we admire, what we're fixated on, what are you focused on? What has your attention? This proverb's earliest readers may have carried the inscription of a few lines of God's law in a small box when they were praying. And similarly, Solomon's uh, readers are exhorted to bind this instruction on their fingers. Over time, this may have been applied in, in numerous cultures. It could have been a ring with an inscription, perhaps a, a short verse or a band on the wrist. I wonder what that would look like for us today. It could mean setting a Bible verse as the background of your phone. It could mean writing out a short passage on a sticky note and putting it on your bathroom mirror or on the dash of your car. What's the point? This instruction, this teaching, this word is so important that we ought to not only read it once, but read it again and again and again and to think about it and to write it out for ourselves and think about it some more and then ponder what it means and what it means to live in response to that. What, what must we believe? What must we do? It's worth that kind of time and energy and focus. It's to be treasured above all else, this word of wisdom. Solomon adds yet another illustration, this time about friendship. Who is someone that you consider to be your best friend or one of your best friends? Think about someone. You talk together. You spend time together. You trust them to give you good advice. 
Well, you should get to know wisdom in the same way, Solomon says. Wisdom should be as your best friend. In Proverbs 13, 20, Solomon also writes that whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. So which will you choose? Will you, will you heed the Father's teaching for wisdom and growth into maturity? Or will you surround yourself with, with people who affirm your natural inclinations and perspectives and desires and discover yourself to be the fool that suffers great harm? And I'll add this word, that although this instruction is given to a young man, this instruction is for young and old alike. This is for men and women alike. None of us should feel exempt. All of us are called to listen and learn. So now the sage tells us a tale. We read along about a young man who's approached by a seductive woman. The story would be equally realistic, hear this, if it were a young woman, or if the adulterous woman was a man. I will tell you up front what the purpose of this proverb is, because that's what Solomon does. It's to show you the treasure that is the word of God. So why should we listen to and heed and follow and keep these words? It's found in verse 5. To keep you from the forbidden woman, from the, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Point number two. If we do not treasure God's word, we will follow our hearts and die. Look at verses 6 through 9 with me. <clears throat> For at the window of my house, I've looked out through my lattice, and I've seen among the simple and have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense. Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. Before moving on into this story, I want to pause and note two things here. First, the location, and second, the time. The observer sees the young man, verse 8, taking the road to her house. Perhaps he knows this road. Maybe he has been there before. He knows where it leads. It's just a few beach pictures. It's just a scene from a movie. It's just in your mind or on a screen. But it is a discernible path. And Solomon calls it the path, the road to her house. Consider also the time. Verse 9 tells us four times over that this was in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night, and darkness. Why? Well, to keep it a secret. Keep it undercover so no one will know. To deceive others. And perhaps greater still, to deceive oneself. The fool knows what he is doing. He walks this path when no one else is at home when everyone else has fallen asleep for the night. He deletes text messages 
or that app to remain under the cover of darkness. One of the greatest lies that Satan tells us and sells us is populated all over our culture today. And it goes like this. If it feels good, it must be right. One popular author says, follow your feelings. If it feels right, move forward. Another musician repeatedly sings, listen to your heart, listen to your heart, listen to your heart. But one Christian professor adds this, listen to your heart and die. Because he draws from Jeremiah 17 verse 9, which says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You know, 2020 was a year full of lockdowns and stay-at-home orders and shut down businesses and lost jobs and closed churches and limited social gatherings. An appropriate concern has been raised about mental health and should continue to be raised. But I wonder if the concern has been raised about where we have turned for our satisfaction in 2020. Physically, emotionally, mentally, perhaps you've experienced struggles this past year. I, I presume that's true of you. And my question is a little bit sharper and more pointed than even that. My question is, have you turned inward toward any secret sin this year? Under cover of darkness. Mark 4 verse 22 says that nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor anything secret that will not be known or come to light. And so with that clarity, let's continue reading this story and consider how the young man responds to the woman's advances. Look with me at verses 10 through 20. And behold, the woman meets him. Dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart, she's loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices and today I've paid my vows. So now I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I've spread my couch with coverings, co colored linens from Egyptian linen, I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not home. He's gone away on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. And at full moon, he will come back home. So, so here this woman is before him. She's, she's flirtatious and, and forward. And she's passionate and she's provocative. And she repeatedly affirms that this is the young man that she's been waiting for. Verse 15 makes this clear. I've come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I've found you. She singles him out as, as like the perceived savior of the romance, the hero of the love affair. And put yourself for a moment in his position. What would you do? What would you do with such attention and special and sudden affection. 
You know, one of the greatest commandments, it's found in the Ten Commandments, is to not commit adultery, right? We know full well what we shouldn't do. But in my experience, teaching and instruction and commandments are not enough to keep us from secret sin. Would you agree with that? Paul describes this well in Romans 8, verse 3. He says, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Paul locates the problem and says that we have a natural inclination that is fallen and sinful. And and that's what's so revealing about a story like this. It's not what's going on outside of the man that's really the story. It's not that he's just being seduced. It's much more about what is going on inside of him. He actually wants this. It's about the fallen condition of his heart. So again, let me ask you, what would you do? You know, as I read this proverb, I was struck by the similarity of the woman's approach. Even the phrase, wily of heart, and, you know, she's to and fro. I, I came across 1 Peter 5 verse 8 as it describes our great enemy. And consider the similarities. The warning is, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. In the midst of our self-justification, we think of having an emotional need to be loved, a need that needs to be met by someone else, or, or we think of a, a biological sex drive. You know, it's just, it's just, it's a physical thing. It's, it's what happens. Um, we seek some sort of pleasure and we try to justify it. But the word of God reveals something more serious here. And that's why I bring up the passage from 1 Peter 5 verse 8. What we see as physical or emotional is much more serious than that. There is a spiritual reality that exists in this story. There is the roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So... Don't be deceived. Don't be devoured. Maybe you've been tempted into thinking like verse 14, that you've offered your sacrifices, that you deserve some kind of reward after accomplish something. Maybe it's a long day of work. Maybe it's a week of finals if you're a student. Maybe your significant other has not been particularly warm toward you of recent. And we look for reasons at our weakest points to justify our desires and to justify our behavior. We look for reasons to justify our heart's twisted affections. You know, I remember a time when I was just a young boy and my parents had gone out for the evening. My siblings were busy doing other things. And so I made my way wandering into our family's computer room. And I knew what to search for. And I knew that it was wrong. And I was so focused 
on what I was doing that I didn't hear my parents pull up into the driveway or open the front door. And so you can imagine the horror when I heard a footstep outside of the room and the doorknob start to turn. And if you've been caught in a situation like that, um, you're overwhelmed. And in a split second of hearing the foot in the hallway and the turn of the doorknob, I closed out of a browser and turned off the monitor and my parents didn't find anything. But I was overwhelmed. Uh, I felt shame. I felt guilt. I was filled with regret that I couldn't escape. And I, and I hurried down the hallway to my room and I opened up my Bible and <laughs> uh, I happened upon a passage in Romans that, that quickly helped me realize that this was actually a holy conviction that I needed to be saved from my sin. But let's be honest, my, my story is not anything new. <laughs> um, that's something that we all have faced in different times and in different ways with different sins. And here's the point. There's something attractive to us about secret sin in particular. But even the darkest desires cannot escape the light of God's word, as in my story. Ask yourself, why do we experience such great overwhelming fear of being found out? Well, Romans 2, 15 through 16 tells us about the fallen human condition when Paul writes this. They, humanity, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse and even excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So again, put yourself in the position of the young man in our story. I would hope that your conscience would be pricked. I think mine would be. But what would you actually do? What would you do with such attention and sudden affection? If you don't, if you don't follow the voice of wisdom in this case, if you don't listen to her counsel, if you don't trust her as your best friend, my question is this, would you do any better? Look at verses 21 through 23 with me and consider the outcome of this story. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. In her smooth talk, she compels him. And all at once, he follows her as an ox before the slaughter, as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know it will cost him his life. He's persuaded. He's compelled. He buys into a lie. He follows her like an ox, a dumb animal who doesn't know that it's about to be slaughtered. He doesn't realize that now he's like a trapped deer. That is, until he feels the piercing edge of the hunter's arrow. Like a bird that doesn't pay attention to where it's going and rushes into a net. What's the result of making such a decision, of not heeding the words of wisdom? Well, the word of God proves true. It will cost him his life. Sin leads to death and it will cost you your life. 
This story is really a story that goes back to the beginning of our time here on earth. Um, And even in the biblical account, we can read in Genesis 3 uh, that this is the story of the human race. Consider the parallels of Proverbs 7, the story that we've been following, and this account from Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7. Listen intently. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say that you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And notice the implication directly following this in verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This is Eve's story. This is Adam's story. This is my story. And it's your story every time that you fall prey to this kind of seductive sin. But it doesn't have to be this way. That's why God gave us Proverbs 7. That's why he gave us his word. To give us wisdom, to protect us, to give us new life, to save us. Point number three, then. If we treasure God's word, we will be saved. Listen to what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that there's an alternative to the gospel or a necessary addition to the gospel of some kind of perfectionism that comes with following the Bible's teaching. What I am saying, and what Solomon is saying in Proverbs 7, and what I believe God is saying throughout the whole Bible, is that salvation depends on faith in God for salvation. Trusting him, believing him, following him, turning from sin and turning from self and turning to our only Savior. That is what treasuring God's word is all about. So, let's turn back then to Proverbs 7 and finish out. Look at verses 24 through 27 with me and discern what wisdom we're supposed to obtain from this tragic story. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, 
and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Our response should be to listen up, to be attentive, to not let our hearts turn aside. Do not stray. Sin. Secret sin. Especially secret sexual sin has destroyed many victims. Solomon, in all his wisdom, is said to have taken hundreds of women as wives and sexual partners. A prominent preaching professor at my seminary resigned due to an adulterous affair. Years ago, our own church experienced the bitter tragedy of our founding pastor engaging in a sexual scandal. And many of you have experienced horrifying sexual sin firsthand. And it's a heavy burden. So maybe you're feeling the weight of a message like this. You may be reminded of things that have been done to you or things that you have done. But there's no way to go back and change what's happened. Yet there is a way forward. There is hope. There is healing. There is safety. There is salvation. But where? It's found right here. Our greatest treasure. This is your greatest treasure. So we affirm what Peter says in response to Jesus' question. You know, some of the disciples had been leaving. And in John 6, Jesus asks, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter responds, answered him saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So where should we turn? We should turn to the word. Consider Rahab the prostitute who is commended in Hebrews 11 hall of faith. Her heart was transformed. Her life was redeemed. Consider how the Lord restored Solomon's father, David, after his adultery with Bathsheba. We should pray with David, wash me thoroughly of iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold in me a willing spirit. You know, flip through the pages of this book. Read the stories of sinners sanctified. Look around this room. We are a broken people who are at once healed and yet continually being healed. We are saved and yet continually being saved. So consider what kind of movies and shows do you watch? What kind of things do you look at on your phone? What kind of relationships are you engaged in? What kind of thoughts do you allow your mind to linger on? What kind of things do you try to justify in order to pacify your conscience? Here's the lesson from Proverbs 7. Don't play with fire. Death and hell will swallow you up in your sin if you continue to hide in the dark. And so the question is this. Do you want a way out? A ray of light? A way of escape? 
Do you believe such a path exists? A path of life and hope and joy. And if it exists, can it be for you? You must admit something. You cannot save yourself. You cannot go and offer sacrifices by, by going to church, even reading your Bible more, or turning on more restrictions on your phone. You cannot save yourself by your own willpower, by trying to be better or do better. But that's the point of the gospel. That's what makes the story of Jesus good news. Paul continues in that verse that I read, Romans 8 verse 3. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Without Jesus, we're left to deal with the shame and regret that we all feel of our sin on our own and we make a mess of things. We're terrible at it. What Jesus offers us though is his perfect sacrifice to cleanse us, to heal us, to forgive us. So take hold of this promise from 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So let me repeat the main idea of Proverbs 7. God's word is our greatest treasure. It saves us from secret sin that deceives and destroys us, and it reveals to us the path of life. Our hearts will deceive us. Our sinful desires will destroy us, but God's word will deliver us if we will receive it. We must admit, though, I must admit, and I submit that you also must admit that we don't treasure God's word as we should. We too easily follow our own hearts and in so doing, put ourselves on the path of deceit and destruction. So are you ready to come to the end of yourself? Are you ready to reject the seductive voice of secret sin, even secret sexual sin, and listen to God's voice. Listen to God's word. What would it look like to keep his words, to treasure his commandments, to keep his teaching, to give his instruction your full attention as the apple of your eye, to bind his words on your fingers and to write them on the tablet of your heart? What would it look like to befriend wisdom the wisdom of the word, the wisdom that you would call your best friend. Proverbs 4 verse 22 says that God's words bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. So let's trust and obey God's word and live this year. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for your word. I pray this year that you would help me. And you would help those in this room and those online and those that might listen to this later. Help us this year, starting today, to confess our sin, to confess that sin, our secret sin, perhaps even our secret sexual sin. Help us to confess our pride in hiding, in presuming upon your mercy, in trying to walk this life without you. Help us to read your word this year. <laughs> Help us to write it out. Help us to think about it, to meditate on it. Help us to apply it. God, I pray that this year, starting today, you would help us to treasure your word more and more. Help us, help us to treasure Christ more and more and more this year. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.